Hello, friends. Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics podcast. My name is Joe Lynch. Thank you so much for joining us today. On the Logistics of Logistics, I talk to experts in logistics and transportation, warehousing, fulfillment, supply chain, and of course, technology. And during these interviews, I'm always the one asking the dumb questions. I ask the dumb questions so you don't have to. Today's topic is real-time container tracking with my friend Kyle Henderson. Kyle is co-founder and CEO of Vision, a groundbreaking technology company revolutionizing container tracking in the logistics industry. We all know how easy it is to lose a week or more at the port or rail yard because of poor container tracking. Kyle and the Vision team have solved that problem. Kyle is a smart, interesting guy. Is a fascinating story. Check out my interview with him. But before we get to the interview, I want to tell you about my friends over at Tomorrow. Website is tomorrow.io. Tomorrow has developed a weather intelligence and climate security platform that is custom built to help logistics and transportation companies to reduce the impact of weather on their operations. The cost of weather-related accidents, delays, inventory damage, service failures, hours of service problems, they're enormous. But what can we do? We can't change the weather, but we can do a better job of planning around the weather. And that's exactly what they do for you over at Tomorrow.io. They have their own satellites. This is the next generation of weather forecasting. Check them out at Tomorrow.io. I will put a link in the show notes so you can reach out and talk to them. So how's it going, Kyle? Doing great. Enjoying my time with you, Joe. Excellent. Excellent. Well, we were blabbing too much before we hit record. Now we have to go over your time. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, Kyle, please introduce yourself and your company and where you're calling from today. My name is Kyle Henderson. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Vision. My company focuses on container freight visibility and helping LSPs, BCOs, software companies get better visibility data into the systems that they're utilizing or building. And I'm speaking to you today from Ho Chi Minh, Vietnam. Wow. Now, how'd you end up in Vietnam? (laughs) My better half has a better job than I do. She works for the Center for Disease Control, and she's here fighting HIV in Southeast Asia. And so the State Department set us up here in downtown Ho Chi Minh and, you know, got to keep the family together. So I'm here most of my time. So how long have you lived in Vietnam? A little over a year now. Wow. Now, did, where did you live before that? Atlanta, Georgia. I was teasing you before we hit record that <laughs> everybody I talk to lately is Georgia, 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 and or Texas, Texas, Texas. It's like we can't <laughs> all move there. Some of us are too pale for that weather. <laughs> well, I'm an original. I was born and raised there. So I was not a transplant. But uh, yeah, I grew up there, left for many years, but came back later in life. So getting back to what does Vision do? And by the way, it's Vision with a Z, V-I-Z-I-O-N, just like on your shirt there. <laughs> and you said when we started, we couldn't afford the S, so the Z. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah, I think anyone who's ever tried to get a domain has been through that. We're like, well, we could just name the company something nonsensical. <laughs> but you, you guys were able to keep keep a good name. So Getting back to it, what problem does Vision solve? So in the containerized freight space, when people ask, where's my container? When's it going to arrive? Why is it late? In the past, answering that question was a very challenging manual process. 
if you had systems, they were reliant on EDI data, which was a challenging integration and dubious at times, depending on their data sources you were getting fed. And the backup to that was manual effort, teams of people making phone calls, sending emails, et cetera, just to answer those three basic questions of where is it, when's it going to arrive, what caused any delay. Now here at Vision, you know, we started by focusing on that problem set. We have done the tough work to connect to all the major ocean carriers in the world. And when, when you think about the meaningful ones, there are about 60 worldwide. But then we didn't stop there. We've connected to all of the different sources for vessel tracking. We've connected to sources for rail tracking. We've connected to sources for terminal visibility, directly connecting to terminals. And there's more than 700 meaningful terminals worldwide as well. So Which is terminals are terminals that consider the uh, trucks? No, that is inside the port. A port can be one or multiple terminals. But these are areas where the containers are going to be offloaded, onloaded. Okay. They can be run and owned by different companies. It'd be like, uh, you know, when you go to the airport and you can see like, hey, this warehouse is DHL and this warehouse is FedEx. Think about the the ocean port in the same way. There's different sections of it set up as terminals. Uh, and they're each their own black box. <laughs> so the... The challenge space we developed products in was initially connecting to all the data sources, standardizing the data across them because there's no data standard in the space yet. There's some great work out there around it, but it's not fully been accepted. And then doing the reconciliation and enrichment to make sure that all the data sources you're combining make sense. You clear up any contradictions between them to, to validate the truth and the accuracy. And then you also do the, the hard work to provide and preserve any estimates as well as generate your own estimates. And the great thing about solving this problem for our, our customers is not just answering those, those questions about where, when, why, but we've done it in such a way that it, it allows us to have analytics and monitor the entire container freight network. Because Functionally, we're tracking all containers globally all the time at this point. And that allows us to see in great detail how quickly are containers moving through what terminal, how, how many vessels are slow steaming at the moment, how much are different routes or legs speeding up, slowing down, getting jammed up, etc. So it's not just about tracking a box. It's about understanding and monitoring the health of the entire network and we focus on providing that back as data to our customer set. It's a huge problem. And I think, you know, when we think about, you know, real-time container tracking, I could also, we could have also used the term real-time container visibility. And I think we, I joke about it, but there was a time a few years ago where 50 people in a row said, hey, Joe, I want to talk to you about visibility. I was like, I get it, but we can't all talk about visibility all day long, <laughs> every day. There, there has to be some other stuff. And... But it spoke kind of to the importance of that moment where all of a sudden we had this ability. And we had that ability because of our ELDs, our electronic logging devices that put that information in every truck. The government said you had to have it for over the roads. So these guys added this to their truck, and all of a sudden all these companies were able to say, hey, I would like to put a little code in there so I can track that truck. Fantastic. 
And then, of course, we had the mobile phones. Everybody has a mobile oh, yeah. phone. So all you say is, all I got to do is get every driver in America to download the same app, which should be no problem at all, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, and I've, I've, you know, the challenges that still, even with that is, and I've said it, and I'm sure you know the same thing. Okay, I downloaded that onto my mobile phone, but not everyone wants to download stuff. And then the ELDs are only on fleets, 50 trucks or larger. Right. Well, also, I remember this when I still ran a little 3PL. I remember saying, where's that truck? We're tracking that truck. That was kind of with uh, 2010, 12, that time frame. We could track it, but we're tracking, you know, EDI mostly. And... um, that was the using the assumption that our pallet got loaded onto that truck. Yeah. If it didn't, I was tracking a truck for no reason. <laughs> so I could be tracking somebody with a mobile phone. I go, hey, I'm, tra- I'm tracking Kyle. Why is he not moving? <laughs> oh, it seems he went out to lunch rather than drive that truck. <laughs> right? So we'd still have challenges with it. But over the road is – over the road, we're in the same time zone and we speak the same language and – we're near cell towers for when we talk about containers, they're coming from places like Ho Chi Minh or Beijing or other parts on the other side of the world. And um, we don't necessarily have all those pings. Nobody can download a mobile phone and, and, and ride in the container. I guess they could, maybe they do, but should not be doing that. (laughs) (laughs) So um, we do have th- every challenge that we have domestic transportation, we still have on international. And international will always be much more challenging. It certainly will because it's the interconnection of different regulations, whether it's lots of regulations or nearly no regulation. There's also the challenge of there can just be many more entities, businesses, governments, facility types, having to touch that freight along its journey. And the, you know, from a data perspective, the silos that generates if, if they're even collecting data. And no, it, there's not yet a standard established about how you should even generate data or, or provide data in the containerized freight space. So it's a, it's a, a very challenging space and it's a meaningful area to to be paying attention to because 80 plus percent of all the goods in the world move through these containers, $33 trillion a year of goods. Yep. I've said it before, guys, if you, if wherever you're sitting, if you're in your car, that car came in a container in many parts, <laughs> a lot of it, yeah. a lot of those parts came in a container, furniture, everything you everything you see, touch and feel for the most part has a connection to container. And there's that book, I forgot the name of it, about the box. I always forget the name, but it's it's about the container. And it was that we started using these late 50s, early 60s. And they really jumped off during the Vietnam War when we started using so many containers for the war effort. Without those containers, there's no way we have the economy we have. There's no way we have the world trade we have. This is, you know, people talk about the importance of chat GBT and how it's going to transform the world containers had that impact and are having that impact. And and we got to see that impact firsthand during 2020, 2021. Well, we sure did. <laughs> it took them away for a minute. And by the way, I joke about it. It worked. 
it worked for the most part. We found we had a little, we weren't as flexible, we weren't as resilient as we were a little brittle some places, but who here in the United States didn't get enough to eat? Who didn't, most of us gained the COVID-19 or 20 because our gyms closed, we couldn't go out. <laughs> That's not your grand, grandparents' pandemic. So we lucked out in many ways, but anyway, let's switch gears and talk a little bit about you. Where'd you grow up? Where'd you go to school? Give us some career highlights before you started Vision. Yeah, so I grew up in the suburbs of Atlanta, Georgia. Very entrepreneurial family. A lot of folks start small businesses, whether my father or different aunts and uncles. So I guess from a, you know, kind of born into it in some ways, the idea of, of liking to create something from nothing. I have a similar background, and I always have said I have a lot of family members who've started businesses, and I always say. It's the great American dream, but it can often be the great American nightmare, American too. Nightmare. And and more, <laughs> even people who've been through that, because my dad had it's like some great years and some bad years, and you kind of live through that, and you kind of go, it's almost like you got used to the drama of it. <laughs> <laughs> and if you didn't have it, it's like, th- th- things just aren't quite as exciting as I'm used to. <laughs> right. But even people who are successful entrepreneurs, every I talk to so many they get that business off the ground. When you talk to them, they're like, yeah, things are going well. But they, their remembrance of the bad times is like so impacted them. <laughs> <laughs> I think the impact it had on me and the value it had for me at the end of the day was by seeing so many people try, you became far less afraid of failing because you get you know, surrounded by failure. Right. And, and, and seeing it not, you know, it has an effect, but it didn't stop people. Right. Especially having lived overseas, living in cultures other than the American culture. Commonly, we're, we're thought of as, you know, we're, we're gluttons for failure. We, you know, you, the American dream is that you, you could fail and you could recreate yourself tomorrow if you want. That's not the case in other cultures. You fail once and you are kind of sidelined for the rest of your life. Uh, you, you know, just the challenges in, in in meeting with companies and startups in, say, like France for, for years, uh, where it's a very challenging culture in terms of, of having a failure. But, yeah, so grew up in Atlanta, family of entrepreneurs, went to a small liberal arts college when they offered to pay for everything versus going to Georgia oh, Tech nice. for software engineering. <laughs> Where'd you study? I went to Barry College in Rome, Georgia. Nice. The Vikings. And uh, and funny enough, got a degree in philosophy and political science. Worked uh, on software my entire time there, though. Actually got a job in the IT department at at the school. And got hooked on startups immediately after after graduating. Found myself with a a, a job this summer after graduating at Stanford University. Actually had an interview at Facebook in the early days. So this had been the summer of 2005. I uh, didn't really know. I knew, used Facebook in college, so I knew of it, but didn't really know what it was going to be type of thing and decided on a, a whim to uh, actually head out to Beijing and met up with some graduates of Columbia University in, in Beijing. And we started trying to make a Facebook copy for China and, and ran that for a little while, learned a lot from that and then uh, came back to the States and did a number of other startups e-commerce, a few different mapping companies. I became kind of a mapping nerd, geospatial intelligence, 
geodata understanding and you know creating different applications that were leveraging map data and um, then also found myself in the consumer market research space uh, doing user experience analytics uh, building a company over there so i think at this point in my career um i've been a participant in nine different startups in 20 years so you saw the mistakes and all the all the good stuff and all the mistakes <laughs> along with it I'd, I'd like to say I've learned a few things along the way. <laughs> it, it helps each following idea go a little bit smoother. You know, you get a little bit of that pattern recognition about, okay, <laughs> these are the things I got to get stood up in the beginning. These are the, 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 the stupid decisions not to make type of thing. You know, this is how to find investment. This is when, you know, how to evaluate the idea and even understand if it's worthy of investment type of thing. Kyle, I've uh, I've learned that there's just not enough time in this life to make all your own mistakes. You somehow <laughs> have to learn from other people's mistakes. <laughs> yeah, here at, at Vision, uh, we have our weekly meeting, and I always say my my favorite section of the meeting is is the lows. We do a highs and lows of the past week, and I say the lows are the losses, and the losses are the lessons. And it's only a loss if you don't learn anything from it. And at, at the end of the day, it's like that is like the most precious thing to get each week is 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 figuring out what you lost at because that's the only place you can get better. You know, I heard a, uh, I think it was um, Bill Belichick or uh, maybe it was the head coach of, of Alabama, but they had, they had this, this quote, which was uh, celebrate the wins, then burn them because you'll never get anything else from them. <laughs> oh yeah. I always think that you ever see those football coaches when they, they have that one day they win, they win the big game you know, whether it's a, a, a playoff game in college or whatever. And then I've heard like Jim Harbaugh, I'm a big Michigan fan. He goes, well, we're going to celebrate today. We're really going to enjoy today. We're going to focus on today. He goes, and then tomorrow we'll get back to it. And <laughs> so I always think like, yeah, that's a big from, from Saturday afternoon till Monday morning. Well, you know, Sunday, Sunday they're watching film. So anyway, when and why did you start vision? What problem did you see in the market? Yeah, so I had the wonderful opportunity of being recruited into a company named Clear Metal back in the day that the founding team wanted to focus on what could we do with data in the ocean freight space. And one of the key learnings from my time there was that EDI was a huge pain in the butt. It was amazingly difficult to get access to any ocean freight visibility data. The data you could get was woefully low quality, uh, tough to depend on. And because of that, it seemed like an entire, let's say, movement was getting blocked. There was this hunger for better software in the supply chain logistics space. It felt like there were problems that hadn't been solved for years and years and decades, even though software kept showing up and said they would solve the problem, but kind of overpromised and underdelivered again and again. And it just struck the founding team here at Vision that if we could focus on the most fundamental layer, which for Ocean was access to the basic tracking event be able to pull together all the sources and really put that together in a way that you could build great software on top of it, that that would be a universal value for the industry and that there would be customers to find. Because 
we were blocked time and time again at Clear Metal from building great software by challenges in data access and data quality. Yep. So Clear Metal, I know, I interviewed one of the guys there. What's his, who was who some of the guys? Probably Adam Campaign. Yep, Adam. I interviewed Adam, and now Clear Metal got bought by Project 44. So They did, yeah, a few years ago. So did you leave before then, or did you Before, part? yeah, okay. before. So you started Vision after you were at Clear Metal? Yeah, started Vision after Clear Metal. It was a side project for a little while. It was one of these ideas that uh, I'd say it's, it has to be true in 10 years. You don't know what year it's going to be fully become true and recognized by the market. But you, you know it's gotta, it has to be true in 10 years. So quietly worked on it on the side for, for probably about two years until April 2020 and decided that it was time to pull the trigger and turn the project into a full-blown company and worked with some great investors who, who knew the space well and was able to get the ball rolling, start building a team, mature the project into a product. And you now the rest is history. Yep. And so I want to talk just about some generalities for a second. For those who do not work in this space every day, who are your customers? And uh, don't use any of those, uh, those uh, acronyms. acronyms. <laughs> <laughs> so we work with logistics companies, freight forwarders, 3PLs, NVOCC, non-vessel owning cargo carriers. Which is like the freight forwarders, right? <laughs> yeah. Like the freight forwarders, think they they buy space on the, the ships in advance and need to resell it. In short, I'm sure there's a better, more detailed definition than that, but we'll go with that for now. And then <laughs> you also work with BCOs, the beneficiaries, yeah, the cargo, cargo owners, owners the, right? whether it's the the shippers on on the sourcing side or the consignee, the recipient of the goods. We also work with the other software companies in the space because we're just data focused at the end of the day. That makes us a great partner for everyone who's building an application or a suite of solutions uh, that needs this type of data in that software for it to fully function and uh, fulfill its promises. Yeah. And one of the things I, I think about is, first off, I, I have gotten those containers. I've shipped them both from the U.S. to Thailand or China in the past. And I remember, it's an old saying, you don't hear it as much, but I remember my logistics guys at the time, I was an automotive guy, he would say, I'd say, where's my container? When is it going to get there? And they'd say, you know what the, ever hear the term, Joe, slow boat to China or slow boat from China? I was like, (laughs) yeah, he goes, that's the boat you got. (laughs) And it just felt like this black hole where he's like, I don't know when. And I was like, yeah. so he'd say things like, well, we'll let you know when it gets to the port. Or we'll let you know when it gets to the warehouse. There was no visibility at all for the most part. And this is an interesting story to dig into because, like, you know, the majority of the time it shows up in, you know, four weeks on average type of thing, right? And you can kind of factor that in. But the challenge with the container, especially when you're doing full container loads, is that, you know, you may have been having 10, 12 containers being sent at once to you. Well, one of them didn't get on the boat at a transshipment port. Or, you know, got a hold on it at its uh, destination terminal. That's a significant amount of inventory, depending on what you're doing with it. It's not like a, a parcel from Amazon showed up two days late in your T-shirts, you know, I had to wait an extra 48 hours type of thing. And depending on what's in that container and the volume, it can be very meaningful. And like you were saying, it, it was a black hole. So exceptions were 
weren't able to be identified until they were like an exception right in front of your face. You couldn't really foresee them coming or act on them in some way, shape, or form. You know, there's always this question about ocean or air, right? If, if you if you can see you got rolled or you missed your transshipment three weeks into a five-week journey, you actually have time to put on any, you know, amazingly integral to your process parts onto a plane to hold you over type of situation. But just not knowing meant you didn't even know you could do something about it. And so we're in this world now where you're starting to see companies do things about it because they have visibility. Yeah, I can say this because it's many years ago and the bruises have healed, but we're launching a car in China and the stuff that we'd hoped would get there by ocean didn't. And so I've got stuff on the ocean somewhere, right? And or at the port, it, who knows? It's when you, I'm asking somebody in Detroit who's got to make a phone call to a freight forward, who's got to call someone in China. This is it was internet, but it was not rocking and rolling like it is now. <laughs> yeah. And by the way, and at that time, I remember one of my team members goes, "You know, we don't have to just fax things to China anymore." I was like, "Well, I don't think they can get emails." They go, "No, they get emails." And he goes, "Trust me, I got." Like a family in China. And uh, we started sending emails. Emails took three weeks to get to China. (laughs) 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 I remember having to air freight stuff because it was on the ocean. And it was an extra $400,000. Extra. When when ocean rates are normal, it's like a 10 to 15x more per pound or kilo. To go air, and and if it and if we had a visibility solution that said no, no, that landed at the port last week. It is absolutely positively at the port, and it's in this terminal. But at that point, it probably was just somewhere in China. Uh, who knows? I don't. Even, I don't even remember what happened to it after you after you build the car. You're like, hopefully, it got there. I don't know. I'm I'm happy you brought the story up because there's there's two elements that I think are are different now and are changing for the better. Now, we already talked about this situation where, hey, if I could see that it was getting delayed, I would air freight a few things, et cetera. But there's there's two things that are becoming interesting now. With better ocean visibility data, and when you have great tracking data, that means you get great analytics data, you get great monitoring data. You can see companies truly start to use the container as a warehouse in motion. Because once you have a certain amount of data, you know, the law of large numbers, you can understand that space is going to deliver a certain amount of consistency to you. And so you can plan on that. But also with that same planning where you're seeing companies go is they can be making the decision on a risk factor about ocean air back at the origin as well. So instead of being in a situation where they realize halfway through or after it's already arrived that I need to have some stuff air freighted last minute because not all of it arrived. Uh, You can be more intelligently deciding that, hey, I'm going to siphon off 8% of this PO and do air on it because I know it's a a 92% on time performance or a risk factor type of thing based upon not just, you know, what did they, what they do last year at this time. It's based upon like what is happening right now in the entire freight network and not just like from my box and my boat, but for all of the other boats and boxes and, and ports and terminals that it's going through that are also affecting it. And so visibility isn't just about where is my box. Visibility is about 
how is the entire freight network for containers functioning and performing and flowing? Right. Right. So I want to take a quick time out to tell you about my friends over at Lean Solutions Group. Lean Solutions is a nearshore offshore service provider, and they provide a range of services, including operation, technology, marketing, sales, and business process outsourcing. They work with over 500 U.S. transportation and logistics companies. And what they have is this model where they have satellite offices down in Colombia, Guatemala, Mexico and the Philippines. And their their approach is real low cost, low risk, low hassle. They have 9,000 employees now. They're one of the fastest growing companies in America. And again, everybody I know seems to be working with them. But if you're not working with them, check them out. Lean Group, L-E-A-N group.com. And by the way, my podcast is edited by someone from Lean Lean Solutions Group. They're a fantastic company. I just did an interview with Ryan Mann. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Check them out. So also, before we hit record, we were talking a little bit about the the big shipping lines, the Maersks of the world, and they made a lot of money during the pandemic. And I, I noticed somebody said something to me like, oh, those companies are killing it. They're gouging, blah, blah, blah. And I said, yeah, but it wasn't so long ago that they were almost all in financial trouble just because it is a very low margin business and we absolutely positively need these companies to be healthy it's it, it, this doesn't impact like oh well this just impacts the automotive it impacts virtually every industry if it's a product there's a good chance it came on a container boat so those container ship lines they own those boxes right most of them yes so if you and I, Kyle, decided stupidly that we're going to buy a whole bunch of containers and we're going to we're going to have those, what do they cost? Twenty, twenty thousand, forty thousand? Yeah, these roughly. Yeah, for the freezer ones. I, me, and you, <laughs> we're in business. We would want those containers working all the time. I don't want them sitting around. I, I, I drive through Detroit. On my yesterday, I saw. All the it's like miles of containers, and they're all in the kind of the railhead. And you go, what are those doing there? Are they actually being used in um, the most efficient way? Well, probably not. But it, the problem we all have is you buy extra. Why do you buy extra? Because of weird times where they don't get unloaded. Because times like during the pandemic when no one could get a container. So there's an there's a good reason for the owners of those containers to say, I need those moving all the time. And when it's not moving, I need it. I need to know exactly where it's at so I can get it moving again. And what's interesting is even the owners of the containers, once they're moved inland, a healthy percentage of them, the carrier does not know where it's at. Oh, I, yeah. By the way, how, just think about this, guys. How many times are you driving somewhere and you go, Oh, they got it's, a container. You, you see there. that in like a field somewhere. You're like, is that container actually used, or do you think that's that's owed by the the farmer out there? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was I was in Baltimore visiting one of my daughters, and I remember she goes, "Oh, isn't this cool? It's a it's a bar made out of containers." And my first thought is, <laughs> I hope they're decommissioned. Like, it's like somebody said, "Yeah, we sold those to that guy." <laughs> Most likely that happened, right? <laughs> or 
I don't know where they, after the construction project, I don't know where they went. Well, somebody built a bar on yeah. them. That's what happened. Well, there are some <laughs> destinations in the world are, that are known for being black holes for containers. Containers just never appear again uh, after they go into those spots. So getting back to it, if you and I owned containers, we would say there's no way I'm, my partner Kyle is a is a techie. There's no way he's going to let somebody steal our containers. We're going to know where they're at, and uh, I'm going to put. I'd have a camera in them, but and we don't have IoT and all those. But we're moving to that. Am I right to say that? We are. We we are. If the uh, the story is crawl, walk, run, we are starting to crawl. <laughs> right. Very a very small percentage of containers have IoT devices so far. Now I'm talking about IoT devices that are typically on the outside of the door. They're identifying if the door was open or closed, temperature, humidity, location, GPS connection, satellite connection, a cellular connection. Now some shippers and, and consignees may have their own IoT devices on the inside, inside their cartons or this, that, the other. But um, the reality is, you know, pretty much the only containers that have IoT devices are refrigerated containers so far. And even that percentage is pretty small. I'd have to go look it up, but we're, we're talking about of the 17 million containers actively used each year, a few hundred thousand maybe maybe have have an IoT device utilized on them. Yep. Yep. So I've had the guys from Tive on my podcast, their sponsor. Yeah, Krenar. Probably Krenar. Yep. 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 Well, Krenar was on and a few of his guys, and they make an IoT device. And it's, I think, the size of a deck of cards. And I think it's, I want to say, you know, I don't ever like to quote anyone, but I want to say 30 bucks, 40 bucks, right? But they're very, very advanced. And by the way, I joke about this. That I think we have a spectrum of visibility now. On the far end would be something like a Tive, where I actually paid for that shipment to have that that IoT, Internet of Things, attached to maybe a server that's very expensive that's coming from China. I want to track and I want to know the humidity of that. If somebody says, hey, your, your server showed up and it's not working. And somebody says, well, yeah, it seems like it got dropped and it was in a humid environment and it's got rust on it. Also, I want to be able to say, yes, that uh, that IoT device will tell me. But more importantly, I want it to tell me right away that it got dropped in China. Check it out before you put it on the boat. <laughs> And those devices have been invaluable, especially in the refrigerated container market, where the contents of those containers are truly perishable in the in the the most complete sense of the word and in high value because of how little time they truly can last in those containers, even with refrigeration. Now what's interesting though is IoT devices are a valuable piece of visibility but they aren't complete visibility. Right. They need you. <laughs> <laughs> well, we we can provide some additional value on top of that, but it's a, it's a, a in conjunction, right? Because the ideal visibility is activating all possible sources and unifying the data and, and cleaning it up and making it as complete as possible. But uh, there are challenges. You may have been hearing about you know, detention and demurred challenges in 2022 when it was really difficult to get containers out of the ports due to congestion here in the United States. Well, you know, a IoT device can tell you what yard it's in, but 
but it's not telling you if the terminal operator is now saying it's available for pickup. Can you actually go and collect it? That is a, a status type information provided by one of the facilitators along the way. And that's, that's, still, that's also visibility data. That's understanding where it is in your process versus where is it on the planet. And visibility is much more all-encompassing. It's, it's really trying to put together the complete story of every journey for each container. Right. So I think we're going to see IoT devices for our super high value stuff and increasingly lower value stuff. And you mentioned if it's refrigerated, that is truly perishable in the truest sense of the word. But I'll throw this out there. Getting it just started getting nice and warm here in the Midwest and the Northeast. Getting a whole bunch of winter jackets into my retail store does me no good today. They're not that stuff's not perishable, but I'm not going to sell another jacket until November. So fashion is very often kind of perishable. Uh, technology, getting oh, last yeah. year's phone or last year's computer on the, you know, being six months late, being two months late means a big deal in technology. Oh, yeah. Huge hit on margins. Yep. So I think we're going to see more and more IoT devices, for especially for the high value. And by the way, the guys from Tive, a lot of times they're tracking like, um, an organ transplant, like from one uh, hospital to another, these truly life-saving or their vaccines or those kind of products where you say they're absolutely positively can't have a screw up yeah. or let's assume anything that the value has an expiration timestamp yep. at the end of the day. So you work with, so if let's just say somebody says, I have on some of my shipments, a, t- a Tive tracker or there's other trackers, but you you say that's cool. They're a data partner of ours. We'll oh, connect. absolutely cool. We are a partner with Tive. We're a partner with a number of other IoT device companies as well. We're a partner also on the the data provision side. So, you know, Tive has a, a SaaS software offering. Um, mm-hmm. Arvium, another company does IoT devices, has a SaaS, a SaaS software offer offering. What you see uh, with many of their customers is they'll have you know a reefer container that has the device and they're tracking it. But then they ask, well, can I track my containers that don't have a device on it in right. this piece of software you just gave me? And so we are a data provider to to allow the software to do that, to power that function in the software. Oh, so you can high fidelity tracking with the device. And then, you know, I don't want to say it's not high fidelity, but, you know, the device, the, the containers you don't have that device on, you can still get high quality visibility into Right. So my right to say that I think what you're saying is somebody's tracking that server using a Tive, a Tive tracker, but that's in a container where you've got somebody else's stuff and you have the information from Tive tying it to that container and you, so you can use that data for other stuff, right? No, I'm saying that, you know, ex- example here is our partner Arvium out of uh, Switzerland and they have a SaaS platform where you can see all of your containers being tracked with their device on it. And their customers were saying, well, I want to track other containers that don't have any device on it. And so we're the data provider so that they can get the tracking data. But your use case is very interesting for uh, LCLs, right? How could you potentially That's piggyback? Le- less, less than container load. So if you've yes. got, so meaning I own, I got half of that container, right? Yeah. So that could be an interesting... You know, that's, that's an interesting question just in terms of like data sharing and data ownership and things like that. And Right. 
Right. Yeah. And, and, and I know anybody like your company that is collector and user of data, you have to be very careful about, you know, first off that you have to, everything has to be made anonymous, but secondly, you, uh, you have to have lots of permissions, I'm sure. <laughs> oh yeah. You, you have to make sure you're above bar, uh, on all of your contracts and agreements. Each customer is asked the data to be managed, et cetera. So we take that very, very seriously. Yep. So, um, Kyle, I know I'm going to lose you here because I went way over my time before we hit record. It was such a good chat. So yes, yes. So who, who is your sweet spot? Who are your customers and what problems are you solving for them? Yeah, I think the biggest pain point when we were first getting the company started. So I think summer of 2020 was just that manual tracking challenge. Everyone was out of the freight forwarder office. Everyone was out of the 3PL office. You couldn't manually collect this information the way you're used to. And being able to supplement and streamline and actually improve the the scope of visibility, the completeness of visibility for those companies that were doing it manually was very high value. What we've seen is we've been able to take that same use case out to the cargo owners, that same use case out to some of the software companies who are also providing professional services on top of the software to be able to do this data collection and cleansing. But then another value area started to emerge because when you have well-organized, well-structured tracking data, you all of a sudden have great analytics. And we took the step to start tracking millions of containers every single day, regardless of whether we have a customer using them or not, and using this information to start understanding the, the health of the entire network. So what started off as working with Ella, you know, the logistics company and the cargo owner around where's my container has evolved and grown into helping the cargo owner with planning of their transport contracts and selecting their, their routes, uh, working with the logistics company to understand what on-time performances or the likelihood of, of roles or mistranship shipments or exceptions are on individual containers or bookings they're placing. And that intelligence that can go into the planning and decision-making of, of booking your freight is where we've started to grow into with this data. So how do they work with you? Are you a, a software as a service? Do you integrate with their existing systems? How does this go we, together? Yeah, our, our promise is quite simple. Instantly access the highest quality visibility data and use it in whatever software you already use today. And so if you're on one of the popular XMSs, you know, whether that's anything from like, hey, what's you know, an SAP, XMS? X, yeah. Well, ERP? instead of a, a TMS or, you know, a, a transportation management system or a warehouse management system or a yard management system, they all have a letter followed by MS. XMS. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> XMS. It's a new one. That makes sense, though. <laughs> Uh, or ERP system, uh, enterprise resource planning, procurement, whatever term they have. I can't remember what the right P is. Yeah, yeah, ERP is like a weird, weird one. Same with MRP. But uh, getting back but, to it, you'll connect. But even to all BI those systems. tools, so things like Power BI or Looker, or even something as simple as like we did a lot of work with smaller LSP uh, logistics companies who wanted like no code integrations. Like, can I have Google Sheets online or a smart sheet? Can you just put the data into a format I'm used to type of thing. And the wonderful thing is, you know, we build an integration, build a once use many type type of thing. And so we've been able to ourselves 
and through partners create integrations into pretty much any piece of software you're interested in out there. I think our most recent we announced was an integration into CargoWise with our partner Chain.io. So you can get this great information, whether it's the tracking events or you know, accessing our analytics data sets through something like Snowflake and tapping into your Tableau system or your Power BI on top of that to get your planning information. We make it really simple to get the data to wherever you already work. Yeah, and the, the way I always think of like companies like yours is you, since you will connect to an IoT platform like uh, a Tive or the other one you mentioned, but also I in the olden days, I might call my my logistics guy, my in-house logistics team, or and they'll give me something. And then I might call the freight forwarder. They'll give me something. Rather than have all those phone calls today, you're connecting with all their data, and they all have data points. But also, as they as I clear customs, there's a there's a fight, there's a record, and somebody's collecting that. And when you start to put all those together, it's dozens of points. Am I right to say? Oh that? yeah. And just think how much we streamline freight audit from the financial perspective when all those bills for demerge or freight fees come in at the end and you need an actual record of who did what when and where it right. becomes far more straightforward because this is the record of how all of your your boxes moved it's not it's not lost in the fog of manual effort and people making phone calls and sending emails you have a structured data set that tell, tells you what happened when and where. Yeah, so you can help me with my real-time current problem, which is where's my where's my container? But also, yep. when I step back and say, I want to look at the big picture, how are we doing over the last six months on our shipments? You can That's where another enormous amount of value. Yeah, or yeah, carrier negotiations when they come up in January, February. What was the on-time <laughs> performance? Yeah, yeah, I, I mean, and that's that's very true because so often I've worked with people with transportation management systems who say things like, "Well, yeah, our system will do that. It'll tell you when it got there." The systems are only as good as the information that gets put into them or that it pulls from. So let's uh, let's switch gears here. I want to I want to wrap this bad boy up. I know I'm going to lose you in a minute. So uh, I like to interview smart, interesting people like yourself. Who Uh-oh. else should I interview <laughs> on my podcast? People who are killing it like you. I think... Who would you recommend? Oh, a few folks here. I think you should... I think you'd have a blast speaking to Pierre over at Sea Routes. I he's like it. He's a CEO. He's a PhD. He's a surfer, lives in the south of France. And I'm already thinks jealous. all things greenhouse gases around containerized freight. I like it. That, and by the way, that is a big concern. And I know this is when we talk about nearshoring and uh, a lot of that nearshoring discussion is because of sustainability. So we do need to understand when I moved it, my stuff from China to Colombia or from China to Vietnam, did I actually do a better job on my sustainability, on my greenhouse gases? I like it. And um yeah, and I've I know I've I've known about sea routes, but I've never had them on the podcast. So I'd love to have them. Yeah, I think they'd be a great guest for you. So, anyone else? Anyways, we uh, we chatted about a list earlier. There's an, a second one that I'm not quite recalling. At oh, the moment. Chris from Shipio. Yes, you should uh, you should speak to the team over it. And I apologize, the leadership team, Shipio, 
Shipio. I know. I don't uh, know how to pronounce I'm, it. I'm just either. a dumb American. I know it's going to. It's going to. It's going to sound weak and potato fed, regardless. <laughs> I don't know how to pronounce it, but it's S H I P P E O. I've seen it. Yes. So yeah, you said Chris from over there. Christopher Mazza, and he's great not only because of his knowledge of knowing what Shipio is doing and where they're going, and they just got listed as one of the uh, the, the few real-time visibility players in the Gardner Magic Quadrant, so notable player. I like it. I like it. But he is also an old hand in the, uh, the containerized freight space. He, in the beginning of his career, actually worked at an ocean carrier. He would get on flights and deliver the paperwork at the ports for ahead of when the ships were arriving. And he's worked at software companies in the space previously. He's worked at other visibility platforms, et cetera. So I think he'd be a, a fun a fun chat to have. I think these containers are there. They've been so important in global trade, but I think we have a real challenge still with are we using them properly? Are, are we do we know where they're at? This is you know we've done a real good job with our visibility domestically, and I know we'll continue to get better there. But we really need to do a better job. And also, you talking about empty miles. We ship those containers back to Asia empty, and that's that's a problem. And getting uh, the backhauls, getting those containers back to the port so they can be used, that's a problem. We have lots of issues with containers. And by the way, there's companies. Like uh, my buddies over at Port, uh, Port X Logistics are really building their whole business on how do we be- do a better job once it hits the port? Mm-hmm. Because drayage has typically been you know, a little bit of a sleepy business. It doesn't seem to jump on the visibility as much as some of the other players in the space. But my buddies at Port X are doing that. Yeah, anyway, we should talk to Larry Cuddy over at Invase, newly owned by WiseTech Global. All right. I'm interested. Hook me up with these guys. Larry at Wise... T- what did you say? What's the name of the company? Larry Cuddy. He was or currently is with Invase, E-N-V-A-S-E. And they were acquired a few months ago by Wise Tech Global. Excellent. Well, you've got... You, you know everybody, man. <laughs> oh, I, I'm just friendly dude in the space who likes to listen you know you <laughs> you, you know all the cool kids uh yeah i would love to know those guys so what i'll do kyle is i'll put a link to your linkedin profile and i'll put a link to your website and any other links you and your marketing team give me and i really appreciate you coming on the podcast it's my pleasure thank you so much for giving me the time i love what you guys are doing <laughs> me too appreciate it yeah yeah and thank all of you for listening to my podcast your support's very much appreciated until next time onward and upward You have been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage with leaders in the logistics and supply chain community. If you like what you hear, please subscribe, hit the like button, and leave us a nice review on Apple or Spotify or wherever else you listen. Also, please check out our videos on YouTube and connect with us on LinkedIn. We're very big on LinkedIn. And you can also reach us on the logisticsoflogistics.com, our website.